Rewind it again. Come on, rewind it again. I want to see this. Hey listeners, fangirls and fanboys too, this is Rewind Again, a podcast that explores what media fans do, how fandom is changing the way audiences and creators interact, and that cool new property that you have to binge watch. I'm Sarah Glass, your dedicated host and a fellow purveyor of Squee. Each episode, I bring a new guest to invite uh, to get his or her opinion about the latest fandom trends, the best things to start watching, and what's relevant or exciting in the world of fandom in 2016. Uh, today, my guest is a longtime fan, Mika. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm actually pretty good. I had like a sneezing all day yesterday, and that's gone. So I'm really happy now because I'm recording. So no sneezing. <laughs> so uh, tell me, tell us a little bit about like what you do online, or, or how long you've been in fandom. Um, I've been in fandom since probably around 2012, 2011, maybe a little earlier. I don't know. I've lost all track of time in my life. Um, I started on Glee, so, and it was before Glee got crappy, so that can give you a general <laughs> timeline for how long I've been involved in fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty much the same person I am now that I was then. Well, that's cool. And do you, um, yeah. do you have like a Twitter that we can reach you at or a Tumblr that you want to share? I do not tweet. Uh-huh. Um, I have a Twitter, but I only use it to like follow celebrities I like and, you know, like their posts or whatever, but I don't tweet, mm-hmm. so it'd be pointless to follow me on it. Um, but you can follow me on Tumblr where I'm entirely too active. Um, and my sign on name there is the amused one. Amused is with a Z, so it's A M U Z E D. The number one dot tumblr dot com. Cool. That's really the only place you'll find me on social media. Yeah, I, I I I've been following you for a while now, so I'm really glad you decided to come by. Yeah, I'm pretty consistent. <laughs> okay, so um, what? So you said you got started with Glee. What made you kind of go from just being a like just somebody who watches the show to actually being involved in like on online discussions and things like that? I don't know. I think what happened is I somehow landed on Glee Forum um, and got involved in conversations there. And I was a big Mercedes fan. So as you can imagine, a lot of the conversations were not uh, the most pleasant conversations. (laughs) But that's where I got started on Glee. And actually, it was a Glee person who I finally left no longer talk to who got me into Tumblr. Um, And then once I got into Tumblr, I kind of left Glee Forum behind. And then it was that's all she wrote. I kind of bounced fandoms based on what I found on my dash and what was starting up. Yeah, I've been I've uh, only got into uh, Tumblr uh, like in the last two years maybe, and it's been I found it had a really steep learning curve. Yeah, I did not understand it for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when I started. Like I signed up for Tumblr long before I actually started using it. So like mm-hmm. I signed up for it. Okay, I signed up for it, but I have no idea what the hell to do with this. Mm-hmm. But then I followed the um, Glee friends that I had and this was back when I was a big Kurt Blankship um, and so I followed them and then it kind of branched out from there yeah I never got I never got that much into Glee I watched some of the episodes when I was at work because we had a TV in our lunchroom and we would you were somebody, smart. yeah someone was watching it so I would catch like random songs and I would I liked certain songs but I think I only watched the first four or five episodes and I just didn't it it wasn't 
what I wanted a TV musical to be. So I kind of quit on it. I didn't. The funny thing about Glee is I didn't um, immediately love it. When I saw the pilot, I hated Will Schuster, like from the pilot. Uh, so, so tedious. <laughs> I didn't really get into it. But then people actually it was Facebook. People on Facebook were super, super into Glee because I'm a, I was in band. And so everybody I oh. followed is like, you know, all about music and stuff like that. Yeah. Or all of my friends on Facebook. And so they kind of got me into it. Um, into Glee because I was just tired of seeing it on my timeline all the time and not knowing what they were talking about. And they made it seem like really, really good. And it was really, really good in season one. But yeah, I still hated Will from the beginning. I didn't like Will and I didn't like Finn, which also made it like hard or Rachel. So it really made it hard for me to like it like on my own. So if it hadn't been for social media, I probably would have never gotten into it. I can get that. I kind of liked some, a couple, I, I did like a couple things about Will in some of the later episodes that I saw, I never really keyed into Finn or Rachel. Something about Rachel just left me completely cold. I think it's that I didn't really believe yeah. that this actress was this character. I don't know. I mean, she was a great well, singer, she but... acted like she was end-all, be-all, and she wasn't even the best singer in the group. And that was what really kind of ticked me off. And it ticked me off, like, the more I got into fandom and saw how people responded to her versus how they responded to other characters, mm -hmm. it only made me like her less. Yeah. Uh, so let's go let's go on and talk about some of the more recent fandoms that you're in. So I've been watching The Arrow, and I skipped all of season three, but I am caught up with um, the current season in the middle of season four. Are you still watching that show? Yeah, kind of. I'm not really <laughs> in the fandom, um, and I'm not, like, super into it, but I kind of watch it kind of out of – almost out of habit. And just because it is so connected with The Flash, which I am really into, mm -hmm. um, that it's kind of hard to not – watch Arrow because it's all connected but I do know that I'm not even going to bother with what I'm sorry say that again you're not going to what I'm not going to bother with Legends of Tomorrow so I don't think down yeah I don't think I am either it just doesn't it looks like it's doing too much and I just I have enough issues dealing with the Flash fandom so yeah what did you think about the crossover episode where they had the time travel and hot girl and the Egyptians so-called Egyptians <laughs> I didn't watch it in protest of Iris not being involved. Yeah, she wasn't even there at all. That was really weird. Uh, yeah, she had one line, literally one line. And Candace told us that before the episode aired. So we all knew that she wasn't in it, really. Mm -hmm. um, some people watched it, and I've seen her one line, like, in GIF form. But... It wasn't it wasn't really that good. It's The stuff, actually, with Flash seemed better to me than the stuff with Arrow. I didn't really find, um, I don't know, I, I couldn't quite tell. The problem is what the, they were using, Go ahead, yeah. The problem is, is that they were using the shows to springboard off another show. And so it wasn't like the episode was a, like an episode of Arrow or an episode of The Flash. It was an episode of Legends of Tomorrow featuring characters from Arrow and The Flash, essentially, from what I understand. That's actually a pretty good assessment, yeah. Because it did feel, it did feel, everybody felt artificially crammed together. And which is weird because you think with crossover shows with superheroes, one of the things that I'm always wondering about is when you have a superhero in one city who's facing the world-ending disaster, how come he doesn't call his friends? And yet when they do that on the Arrow and Flash, at the same time, it feels very forced to me. So I don't know if I'd rather they were doing it alone or if I'd rather they were calling for backup. They're not good at crossovers. Like I was watching Chicago Fire and Med and PD's big crossover. And the one that they did on the night with Chicago Med and Chicago Fire, it was seamless. Like you couldn't even tell when the show switched over mm -hmm. until 
put up the, oh, this is Chicago Med logo. Um, and the Arrow and Flash don't do that. And I think part of it is because they air on separate nights, so it's not like they're back-to-back. Mm-hmm. But the other part is, is the characters don't interact that much on the day-to-day, whereas on the NBC shows, they interact all the time, even when it's not a big crossover. So when they have the big crossover, it feels more natural and more organic and less of a we-need-ratings type of ploy. Huh. I've never really watched Chicago Med or Chicago Fire. What do you think about those shows? I watched Chicago Fire, and I, like, binged it and finished all three seasons and caught up on the fourth um, within, like, three weeks. Wow. Are they short seasons or long seasons? Huh? Are they short seasons or long seasons? They're long, 23 episodes. But I like procedurals, so I can sit and watch that stuff. I don't know. I'm coming going procedurals. Right now I'm into elementary, which is my procedural of choice, but I don't think I really can handle more than one. So I'll probably not do that. And medical shows have never really been a big thing for me. So let's talk about the flash. Like what is, what is happening on the flash right now? Because I'm only sort of semi aware of, of what's going on. I know that there's like two worlds and two universes, right? Yeah. It's super confusing. Um, so there's two earths and on one Earth, we have the characters that we all knew in season one, and they call that Earth One. Mm-hmm. And then on another Earth, we have basically those same characters, but they're like AU themselves. So, like on Earth One, you have Caitlin Snow, who she's supposedly a doctor. And on Earth Two, she's Killer Frost, who's like a supervillain. So that's kind of how they're doing this. Um, there's supposed to be a big episode coming up, spoiler. Uh, episode 13 where the earth one characters at least i think cisco barry and harrison are going to earth two and so they're going to run into everybody and so that should be really fun to watch yeah is is it earth two at a future is it ahead of our earth one i don't think so but the look of it is more futuristic Hmm. than earth one i think they're like on the same timeline but since it's a completely different universe maybe they're a little bit more technologically advanced because the characters all seem to be the same age on both earths so, and these are supposedly parallel universes, but I didn't read the comics. I only know like what I've seen on my dash from other mm-hmm. people who have and what I've seen in interviews and what I've seen on the show. So this is just my interpretation based on my limited knowledge. So please, comic fans, do not bother Sarah if I'm wrong. <laughs> it's not her fault. I'm so I'm so bad at that stuff too. I don't read any of the comics for any of the shows that I watch. I just can't get into comics as a medium. I was briefly into manga, but that was when I was in high school. Uh, yeah, I've been thinking about getting into Flash, but I just I have not set aside the time to do it. And I think I was so burned by Arrow that I got turned off of a lot of that whole universe for a while last year. Yeah, well, um, Flash is superior to Arrow, so that's and good. The Flash is sticking more to the comics than Arrow does. Arrow doesn't really stick to the comics as much, as evidenced by the fact that Oliver and Black Canary are supposedly like a big deal in the comics, but on the show, they're not. I think you should give Flash a shot. You'll probably enjoy it. If you need me to, I'll watch it with you. <laughs> oh, that's very generous. I may, I'm if I do, if I do, uh, so right now I, I'm uh, binging, I'm, right now I've been watching Steven Universe, and once I do that, I was thinking about maybe trying the Flash again. So if I do, I'll probably be messaging you a lot with lots of really weird questions. Uh, no, no, that's fine. <laughs> I know that you're a big, um, you're really into, uh, I, I almost said Candace, no, um, Barry and, I'm losing my names, I'm so sorry. 
What's uh, Iris? Barry, Barry and Iris, you're really big into them. What is what are they doing on the show right now? Have they made out yet, or was that only in the future timeline? <laughs> right now, they're not doing anything because these idiot writers brought in another love interest for Barry, and apparently, if Iris is not the love interest, they don't know what to do with her. So she's been kind of absent so far this season, which has been really um, a point of contention for her fans. But spoilers that we're getting right now make it sound like she's going to be back in full effects uh, starting with the episode this week. So fingers crossed. But there's nothing really happening with them right now because all that's been put on the back burner because they want to make Barry look like some sort of ladies man. So um, once sorry, we're starting to call her police brutality. No, that's fine. We're starting to call her police brutality Patty because she is basically the poster child for police brutality. Um, which is a poor writing choice, especially given everything that's going on in America right now. Yeah. Writers do you. Um, But she is hopefully going to be gone soon. So things will get back to normal. And since they're done setting up Legends of Tomorrow, hopefully the show will go back to the season one feel that everybody likes. Does does Flash do a thing where they have like one overarching uh, big bad or problem they have to solve? Or do they do more episode to episode? Uh, There is a big bad. And he's awesome this year. There was one last year, too. So last year, the big bad was um, the reverse Flash. And since you haven't watched it, I'm not going to spoil you too much on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of a big surprise who he turns out to be. So that's the big bad in season one. And in season two, our big bad is this speedster called Zoom, who he seems kind of inhuman almost. But he's awesome. Like, we haven't seen much of him yet this season, but we're supposed to see a lot more. From what I understand, when we come back, but he's pretty awesome. That's cool then. And I hope that I don't like. I honestly don't see how they would defeat him in one season. I feel like he's like a a series long big bad, and not like a season long big bad. I think that the series long big bads they kind of work for me if you use them sparingly. But yeah, I, he's just really sparingly because apparently he's like super expensive to make. So. Oh. So you can look forward to a lot of conversations where everybody's standing still drinking coffee for no reason, not fighting. <laughs> no, no, because the thing about Zoom is he might not be fighting them, but he, like, sends other people to fight them. Mm-hmm. Like, the first few episodes he was sending uh, metahumans, which is what we call the people who have superpowers. Yeah. He's been sending them from Earth 2 to Earth 1 to kill Barry. And so that was the big thing. We didn't even see, like, Zoom really in the flesh in Earth 1 until episode six and he made a hell of an entrance and has only been back like once since and we're going to be on episode 10 on tuesday that's kind of good then so it keeps the mystery yeah it keeps the mystery and right now the big thing is everybody's like who is zoom who is zoom my theory is that it's barry's dad on earth too oh yeah i feel like that's that's the best way to go one because it's the thing that would mess him up the most and i'm all about messing him up um and two it just makes the most sense out of all the characters, if you want it to be someone that everybody already knows and that you want it to make like a big impact, then mm-hmm. it basically has to be his dad. Do you think that the show is, I was, I got the impression the show is a little bit lighter than Arrow, but it sounds like you're saying that, that it does get pretty dark at times. It does. Like, well, The Flash started out a lot lighter than Arrow, but if you look at the season finales for the shows, Arrow season three and Flash season one, the Flash of season finale, the way it ends is how you would expect like an Arrow episode to end. Whereas the um, Arrow one ended kind of how you would expect Flash to end a season. So, yeah. So their tones kind of shift, but they're never both happy or both dark. 
like it, it shifts. Well, another show that I have found that is mostly happy, but then has some odd kind of dark moments is Jane the Virgin, which I got caught up on this year and am in love with. Um, Jane the Virgin, I'm behind a couple episodes because mm-hmm. the episode where she found out that um, Raphael got Michael fired, mm-hmm. that episode pissed me off. So I haven't watched <laughs> since then. Just because I'm tired of this whole Raphael is the bad boy, Michael is the good guy type thing. I'm I'm really I'm really over that. Yeah, frankly. I've been finding I, that tiresome I, too. Yeah, I never like special snowflake characters and they're like setting Michael up like he's a special snowflake character. So I feel like they almost don't know what to do with him because having him do all this stuff with searching for the, the criminal stuff and I mean he he did that in the first season, but it when they said when they showed the fight scene in the hallway where he started to punch Raphael, did you see that? Yeah, yeah. and like yeah. the baby was there, and like yeah. the table falling she, over. And I'm just like, how can that catch more hell for that? Yeah, it, it's to me that she was right to cut him off at that point. And even if she found out later that that Raphael did turn Michael in, then I don't see how that spoilers. I guess I should say spoilers. Uh, I don't. To me, that doesn't invalidate Michael or make Michael look any better. Yeah. I mean, you can't lose your temper around kids. That's like an instant no for me. Yeah. No, I don't like it. And I don't like the fact that they basically cocked out by making Michael right about that situation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it really turned me off. So. I think that it, they are doing a good job of, of now. There seems like they're backing away from the love triangle part of it which I'm glad about because they had it really intense for a couple episodes. And then after that stuff, they seem to sort of, except for, except for the Michael Raphael drama we were just talking about, they do basically back off of it. One of the things that I really like about the uh, show with regard to her family is that I like that we have the three women, uh, Jane, Giamara, and her abuela, and they have each different perspectives on all these situations so you see the traditionalism or the older generations, but it never makes them static. Like her grandmother changes in certain ways and she is traditional about some things, but not about other things. And I really like that, that contrast between the three women. Yeah. I like that. And I like that they did the deportation storyline and they mm-hmm. didn't make it feel too Hallmark channel Like they made it real and you felt like you could understand where they were coming from. Cause you always hear these stories. And one reason, one of the main reasons why I was like sure to watch this show Mm -hmm. uh, because it was supporting other people of color. Yeah. I mean, you don't really get to see their stories on TV and then it's so well written and me, I have no Latino Latina. However, I don't know what they prefer to be called. So if I'm wrong, my apologies, but I don't have any of that blood in me. And, I said the fact that I can relate to this show as much as I do is just really good. And it also shows that, you know, I am not that race or ethnicity, but I still relate to the characters. I can still understand where they're coming from. And it kind of, you know, puts a few holes in that whole argument that you only need to see characters one way or people should only write characters, you know, like for white people or whatever, because then like the white people are supposedly your biggest audience and they won't be able to relate to the characters. But you can relate to the characters any race if you're paying attention. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I feel like I can relate to Jane a lot on a lot of different levels, even though I'm a white person, I don't have any Latino connection. 
uh, except for the people that I've known in my life. And I grew up in the Bay Area, so that's a fairly diverse community. But I've really connected to her on, you know, her family issues and her writing and her femininity. There's lots of things you can always connect to people about that don't have to be exclusively through this single focus lens. Right. Everybody goes through the same things, no matter what color you are. Yeah. So there are some things that are going to be very race specific, just like there are some things that are going to be very class specific. Mm-hmm. But all like on a basic level, go through the same things and experience the same things. And there's no reason why anyone should be unable to relate to a character just because their skin color is different. Yeah, I think it actually, one thing that I have heard people talking about is they've in discussion about diversity is the specific point of view and how the idea that with specificity, you get uh, a story. So even though you can relate to a character because you have one aspect of yourself, whether it's gender, class, or race that you share with them, the other parts that they have that you don't still give that character a specificity that lets the whole story kind of have have something to say. And I really, I really do appreciate that because even if Jane the Virgin is saying things about politics that I may not have a personal connection to, I have a connection to the things that we share. And that lets me appreciate the other messages more because I'm... I'm now, I found my way in and I can now look all these other windows I can look through. Yeah. That was like a sloppy metaphor, but there you go. Um, Yeah. I mean, most of us are not going to have to deal with someone in our family being deported. Like we're just flat out not going to have to deal with that. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times when you hear about that on the news, like, yeah, you're like, it's sad, but you're kind of disconnected from it because Mm -hmm. you connect to it on a personal level. And so a show like Jane the Virgin is important because it allows people to connect on a personal level. You grew to love this character and see how she is with her family and feel like part of the family. And now you see what, oh, she might have to be taken away from them for a stupid reason. Even though she's been here all this time, minding her business, working, probably paying some form of taxes. Yeah, she had to work because she, they said, I think they said that she owns the house that they live in. So that is definitely like she was being her own single mother raising uh, Giamara and then helping them raise Jane. So jumping forward, they said that Jenny Ehrman, uh, Jenny Ehrman is the name of the showrunner for Jane the Virgin. And apparently Jane the Virgin has had several women directors, like a majority of women directors on their episodes. And they've also had um, several women of color directors. So the show is a really good one to talk about how you can have diversity and specifically targeted diversity with behind the scenes that you can make a point to do that. And those people are out there and you can hire them and they will produce a quality program. And it's a really good example of that. Yeah. And I mean, I have my moments where sometimes I'm like, I wish there were more black people in this show just because I'm black. That's what I do. But at the same time, not everything can be about us. They deserve to have something that's for them. And because there hasn't been anything, I really wish they got more viewers. I wish it wasn't like a CW show and people would take it seriously and watch it because it's really good. Yeah, um, it, it's funny. Like, I didn't. It's hilarious. I love Rogelio. He's like one of the best characters ever created. He is a mess. He's, he's yeah, I love his um, the conversation he had with his assistant in one of the recent episodes where he was trying to figure out if it was okay for him to befriend Michael after Jane dumped Michael and his assistant was saying no, no. And then the next shot is Rogelio going up to Michael, like at the coffee stand, trying to befriend him again. Yeah. Yeah. Rogelio's a mess. He's kind of like a big kid. He does that, that line between charming and annoying and never like never messes you up. He's never annoyed me. 
Yeah. I either find him, I, I usually just find him funny. And mm-hmm. I felt like, he, but he's still a relatable character. Like you feel when he's upset, like you can feel that. It's not like he's a, he's a jester or something. He's a real fully fleshed out character, but he brings a lot of levity to the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to ask you about, um, so you've been watching Steven Universe. I just have been watching that this weekend and I've been skipping through some episodes of the first season because someone made me a playlist about which ones I have to watch versus which ones I can skip. So I'm skipping through it and I'm kind of into it now, but I don't really know how much I'm really committed to it. So I'm waiting. I'm still waiting for it to catch me. What do you think about that show? I like it. It's a really cute show. And um, I'm not like a super, super fan. I kind of got into it because, again, Tumblr, like, on my dash, it just kept popping up. Yeah, same. Um, Most stuff and things like that. And you kind of get sucked in. So I started watching it one day. And it's a really, it's a cute show. It's a very cute show. If I had kids, I would want them to watch it. And there's still, like, a lot of adult things in there. But it doesn't get too adult. Yeah, I was trying to think of what would be the age group for this show. Because my my friend has kids and one of her kids is a, is a little girl who's about six or so and I'm trying to decide if I should recommend the show to her or not it might be yeah, a little too old or what do you think oh I mean there's enough um stuff in it to catch I think a younger kid like my niece is two and I would let her watch the show hmm. um there's enough stuff in there like the younger kids can you know pay attention to like the colors and the songs and stuff like that it doesn't ever really get too scary and Steven's like a little kid like them. So that's good. But it's still like there's enough of the more overarching stuff mm-hmm. that adults can get into. Like, did you watch the last Steven Bomb or are you just? I'm still only in the first season. So I'm like up to like episode 20, I think. Okay. Well, in the news, like the episodes that just aired like a week or so ago, they do Ruby and Sapphire story. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly about like, you mind if I spoil you a little bit? No, go ahead. I'm kind of spoiled for the Tumblr already, so go ahead. Yeah, it's kind. Of, it's basically like the story of two lesbians who they're in a society where people don't want them to be together, mm-hmm. but they need to be together. And so basically, Garnet is a fusion of them. She's not one gem, she's two. Yeah. And they're just always, like, their story is just really good. And I can see, I guess, like, some people have problems with it in other countries. And, you know, super conservatives will probably have a problem with it because, you know, it's the whole LGBTQ Mm -hmm. conspiracy to make everybody gay or whatever. But it's really good for little kids to see that. So when they do run into it, maybe when they get older, they can relate to it and say, oh, okay, this is what this is. Like, in a recent episode, um, Peridot got into a TV show and she turned into, like, a hardcore shipper. And Mm -hmm. Or it was it's so cute and hilarious. Um, and before she couldn't understand why Garnet was fused all the time and why they had to be fused all the time. But then after watching the show, Garnet explained we're like those two characters that you like, and she's like, oh, I get it now. It's like that. So uh-huh. Steven Universe, yeah, Steven Universe has things like that in there, so kids, you know, can be more tolerant of things. That's really good. I want to ask you a question about the fusion yeah. thing because I just I recently I did see the episode where they get um where they get opal from from amethyst and pearl, and they had the, uh-huh. they were fighting and then they worked together to save Stephen and to save the episode. And one of the things that I've been just seeing about Garnet and about the other characters on social media without actually watching the show that I didn't really get as far as the the 
metaphor goes of the two women or the lesbian characters, they are two for Garnet. I know that they are two characters that are in love, yet it seems like they become a single person. And I, yeah. I'm a little confused about what, and maybe this is because the show is, is going to explain it, but I'm not really sure what is that saying about sexual identity or about a person? Like, is Garnet a person or is she two people? Because she presents, at least for the episode so far, as like one entity. But is, should two people who are in love with each other become one entity? I, I'm still a little lost on what that means. That's where they're going on that. Um, Garnet recognizes herself as one person, from what I understand, or one gem. Yeah. Um, what I, like, she knows she's two separate gems, and, like, when they get mad at each other or they disagree, they will, like, burst apart mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but she sees herself as one person, from what I understand. Like, she doesn't go around calling herself Sapphire or Ruby mm-hmm. at certain times or referring to Sapphire or Ruby. She's just Garnet. Maybe it's just because they're aliens. They can be two people and one person at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's may I'm probably overcomplicating the metaphor. <laughs> it's a kid's show, so they don't really get too deep into that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of letting you... It's, it's, I don't know how to explain this. Um... Like, she's two people, but she's one person. All right. So she's basically a soulmate. She's basically a soulmate. All right. Like, yeah, she's soulmates with herself. There you go. Um, I want, speaking of, um, of uh, supernatural stuff, I did want to go into Sleepy Hollow. And sure. I hear that you got caught <laughs> up. With specifically. I'm sorry, repeat that. It said since I caught up with it specifically for this podcast. You did, and I'm so happy you did because nobody will talk to me about Sleepy Hollow. So I have I have a lot of questions, and people I want to talk to somebody about it. So thank you. I for can't doing say it. much about season two because I definitely checked out season two and never bothered to go back and finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can talk about season one and three. Awesome. Well, season two was was a waste of time. Um, yeah. All you need to know is that Katrina died, and she went crazy yep, evil at the end. Yeah, heard that. And uh, what's odd about it is is it, it swear to God, it felt like in the last three episodes of the show, so, like the hand of God, if you believe in that sort of thing, from a mm-hmm. TV perspective, came down, switched all the characters around and said, pressed play. And that was the last three episodes of season two. I was like, what is happening? Yeah. And they really like, they had, a great, they had a great thing with that show in season one. And they really just threw it all away. And I don't understand why they threw it all away. If they threw it all away for Katrina, because no one liked Katrina. And it wasn't even about like shipping because we all wanted to like Katrina when the, yeah. when the show started. Because I love witches. So I was all set to be like hyped for her and like her. And then she was useless. Completely useless. Every time we saw her, she was useless. One time they literally replaced her with lamps from Home Depot. So it's just like, how can you root for this character? And then Ichabod didn't seem overly invested in saving her from purgatory, but yet we're supposed to believe this this big, massive love or whatever. They they just screwed up in so many ways over that for a mediocre character. Yeah, and it the entire man it was it got really bad in season two because she spends a whole section of time playing house, being the hostage of the headless horseman. Yeah, and it's just. I'm watching these episodes yeah, and I'm thinking, what, is, make me like, what does it gain us as a story or as a plot? It doesn't give you anything. Yeah, there was a point where um, 
I didn't watch it, but I saw like gifts of it online. And so I had one of my Sleepy Hollow friends make me one of Katrina like peeping around the corner where she's supposedly spying on them and they can clearly see her ass. And I'm just like, she's so inept in like every possible way that she's inept. And I can send you a link to it or whatever. <laughs> but it's just basically like she's just peeping around the corner like, hey, just reminding you guys that I'm here in case you wanted to talk about, you know, any super secret apocalypse stuff. Yeah. Is it was bad. I, I am I usually am gung ho for female characters, and it really taxed me to to finally admit to say, look, I don't like this character. I don't like anything they've done with her, and for, I I will go I will go far out to defend even a shitty character. So that that one really bothered me after all through season two. I was so done with it, and actually I'm not really yeah. that thrilled with what they're doing with Betsy Ross this season either. Yeah, and then it was like the whole secret kid who's really an old man who's really bitter about what happened to him. And I'm just like, this is so stupid. And that started in season one. But I'm just like, this is dumb. Or they finally get Katrina out of purgatory and she immediately gets kidnapped by the Headless Horseman. And I'm just like, you guys, you're killing me here. It was it was not fun, that, that whole segment. Oh, and they just kept trying to hype her up as she was like this all-powerful witch. Even making Abby do it in the show. And I'm just like, I can't do this. So I had to check out a season two. And the whole thing just made me not like Ichabod, which mm-hmm. is kind of why I stopped shipping Ichabby. So. Oh, I, I always pronounced it Ichabby. That's so interesting. I, I always say Ichabby. I don't know why. No, I, I get that. I uh, You don't, some of these things you just don't ever say aloud until you say them out loud. And then you're like, huh. Yeah. I've actually thought that the they're making a very similar mistake this season, I think, with Betsy Ross. Yeah. Because she she has the potential to be a cool character, but it feels like they're inserting almost the same person that was Katrina, very similar. She doesn't have the same personality. Katrina was kind of like a wet mop, and the Betsy character is supposedly more spunky, but it feels like the role in the story is the same. And I just feel like, I thought we got rid of this character. Why is this, why is this dragging thing happening again? Because they think that we just have to have a white woman in a corset on the show for it to work. Yeah. Even that clearly doesn't work. And her character doesn't even make sense for the past because we see her in all these like sexy pirate costumes. And I thought, you know, if yeah. she was a spy, she would just be dressed like a normal woman and yeah. doing spy stuff while looking like a normal woman. That's what spies are. Yeah, yeah. Like, I did. They, Go ahead. I don't know why I think like that men don't find Abby or Jenny attractive. I think that's what it is because I remember even in season two that Raven guy came on and he was just talking about how he didn't realize how sexy Jenny was until he saw Wendy Greenwood in a dress at Comic Con. And I'm just like, are you serious? Like these are the people that you have in the writers room. Oh my god, chauvinistic. Yeah. So that well, she, was Wendy like, Greenwood is so beautiful though. Season two was just a mess behind the scenes and on the mm-hmm. scene. So it was just such a big turnoff. Even to the point where Orlando Jones, who is far from my favorite celebrity, mm-hmm. um, was just straight up clowning the show. Yeah. Himself. Before he got fired. So Did he get fired? I was not really sure on on, on I know he left the show because he was it written out. It seems like but... he got fired. I feel like if he didn't get fired and if he would have just left voluntarily, he wouldn't be as bitter as he kind of thinks about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's on, he's on Tumblr and Twitter, so you can follow him. He, he does live commentary for a lot of shows, uh, like a lot of supernatural shows yeah. and CW and I stuff. Like I didn't like how he did the um, Sleepy Hollow Phantom, specifically the Abby Phantom that he's so gung-ho buddy-buddy with now. 
um, the way he was doing us in season one I, turned me off of him. So, do you like how? Do you like that the story between Joe and Jenny that's been happening in the third season? Nah, I haven't really been paying attention to it. Oh, I kind of liked it when they were flirting in the last couple episodes, and I think they actually did they make out? Yeah, I think they did like once. Yeah, I liked it. I I thought I mean, that I think was they've had sex before. So. I mean, they're cute or whatever. I just don't pay any attention to it. Like they're not something that I would. The, I would never say they're the reason I watch the show. Mm-hmm. So they're fine. I don't have a problem with them. I don't hate them or anything like that. But I'm not like, yeah, I ship it. You know? Yeah. I so to me, it's I. I still I still am in. It could be shipper for that for Ichabod and Abby, but even though I know why lots of people aren't at this point, but I I did enjoy watching Jenny and Joe in the background just as a viewer. I liked it, and I liked him so much better than Holly, who I could not stand in the second season. Their wannabe Indiana Jones character, I hated him. The problem with him was they were trying to make it seem like both sisters just wanted him, and I'm just like, no. Like, we finally get Abby and Jenny on the same page, and y'all want to try to have them fight over this dusty motherfucker? No, thank you. No, he, and he lived on a freaking barge. Like, they have really, really bad choices in season two that they haven't recovered from. I did like that there was this angel that appeared for one episode that kind of had some chemistry with Abby, and I thought he would be cool, but they haven't brought him back. Yeah, I heard about him. Yeah, he he was kind of, he was kind of a slightly menacing, but he had some, he had some good screen chemistry with Abby. I am a little tired. I know that you're tired of this too, of Abby has now been stuck in another world for the second time in the mid season finale for season three. And that is kind of a bummer. Yeah. I mean, we all know she's going to eventually get out or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I'm just tired of her always being the one that has to go in. And I get it. She's a superior witness or whatever, but let Crane have to deal with it for once. Like, why does he get to be the one that stays out? Can't we put him in an alternate universe for a while and not have to listen to him tell some story about some people from the past that nobody cares about? Can't we do that for a little while? Give us a break. Yeah, I think they need to lay off the stuff in the past, too, because he supposedly didn't know about the magic stuff for or he knew about the magic stuff, but he didn't know his own wife was a witch. And he was still surprised by things when uh when he got to the future world. So they're getting really lazy with saying how he knew all of these mysterious things, but somehow he didn't know that magic was real until he got revived. Yeah. Like the tooth monster one, when he like starts talking about Paul Revere and big, I like rolled my eyes so hard. I'm surprised they didn't get stuck. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And I don't uh, think that's the reason that kind of turned me off the show. It was just like, every time Crane started talking, I was just annoyed. So I was just like, I can't watch this show anymore. I think they also straight up punked their own timeline because I remember I was watching something in season three. I can't remember which episode it was now. And I was thinking, and I was doing the math in my head saying that this is not possible, that he was at this place with this Betsy character doing these things according to the episodes that we saw in season one and two. So I think they've just yeah. said, you know, like to hell with our previous canon. It doesn't even matter anymore. And they're not even really yeah. trying to make it line up. Each season is its own separate universe. It doesn't connect. Mm-hmm. Like when the show first started, it was going to be seven years of the apocalypse and all this other stuff. But then they end the apocalypse in season two. And it's just like, what are you doing, show? What are you doing? But I will say that Pandora, who is, I guess, this year's big bad, is awesome. I love her. She's like the best thing about the show right now. Oh, she's so, great. She's awesome. I love the scene where... 
Pandora is what Katrina should have been. Well, an evil version of her. Like, she does stuff. Like, she has a goal. She sets out to meet, and she meets it. She's, like, she's all-powerful, and you see her being all-powerful. So, I it's not like they're telling us how powerful she is. Yeah, and it's little things that they have her do all the time. There was a great scene that was really subtle, but I, I liked a lot, where she's walking down the road, and she's in this big cloak and a dress, and this guy passes her and he, when he looks back at her, she's just a woman in like a sweatshirt and jeans and just like a normal dressed yeah. person. And you don't know, is it an illusion? Did she change her appearance? Does it, it doesn't even really matter. It, all you have to know is that she's cool and she's got magic. Yeah. And we get to see that be put into use in a really creative way. Yeah. They did an episode, this, uh, they did an episode for bones crossover, which I was kind of bored with. That was part of my catch-up uh, Friday, mm-hmm. and I was bored out of my mind in that, during that entire episode. It was it was weird because it was boring for both shows. Like, I watched both episodes, and they were both a little bit – it seemed like they both had to lose something in order to make room for the crossover, and it didn't really work for me because they didn't have – it was pretty thin. They didn't have much of a story going on. Nope. I did really like Abby and Jenny's dynamic, though, this season, that they've gotten a lot closer, and even though they have – they're not – perfectly lined up on everything they are sharing a lot more and that's been really nice to see them as a united front yeah okay so what else do we want to talk about oh um so i was going to ask you um since we since we have a lot of the fandoms together where there's some kind of problematic things going on i want to ask you what do you think about when you're watching a show or you're reading a book or you have you know music and you find out that, that there's crappy behavior going on from the people that make that. How do you kind of react to that? And like, when do you decide this is so much that I don't want to consume their media anymore? Or when do you say, I still want to watch this thing because I love it, even though I recognize that it has all these problems or that the people who make it have all these problems? I'm of the separate the show from the actor creator team. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing is, if I were to stop enjoying something just because someone problematic was associated with it, I wouldn't be able to enjoy anything. Yeah. Now, granted, some things are worse than others. Like the Bill Cosby situation is freaking horrible. But at the same time, I grew up watching Bill Cosby. I grew up watching The Cosby Show. I wanted to be in that family. So I'm not going to stop enjoying that show just because Bill Cosby, who is not Cliff Huxtable, has all these problems going on. So that's my whole thing is I just don't want to focus too much on it. I want to be aware of it, but I don't want to make it the focus of like my life or my media consumption. I think that's a pretty healthy idea. And it's probably one of those things that for each pro for each media property, it's going to vary. And for each person, they're going to have their own line of when they decide that they've had enough or when they decide that, you know, they're okay. I tend to go kind of the same way you do. Yeah. For Cosby, it's not like he was like Will Smith, where his character basically had the same name and it was basically based on his life. It's a completely made-up character. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to someone like R. Kelly, who I'm really conflicted on, just because he he's super, super problematic. And most of his songs are about you know sex and stuff like that. And so to hear what he was doing with young girls is very disturbing. And so for me, it's just like I don't really even though I loved his music before all this stuff came out, it makes me a little uncomfortable knowing that he may have been singing about someone who was like 14. 
Yeah, I just ran into that um, with David Bowie because I had I had heard about um, the problem with uh, underage groupies in the seventies and eighties as a thing that David Bowie was involved in. I heard that as early as like last year too, and then I got some more information about that in this last month. And yet when he passed away, everybody's got all this stuff on social media about how amazing and how wonderful he is and how his music changed their life. And I'm reading that. And it's like, that's great. But I am also really, really uncomfortable about this other stuff, like the fact that he supposedly, according to this information about um, groupies in the past, he'd been involved with you know, 13 and 14 year olds at different points who followed the band around. And that is, and this is, documented for a while now as far as older material but it wasn't regarded as scandalous at the time and yeah mm -hmm. i look at that now and i'm like ah and then i just and i just read this article about it saying that apparently don henley of the eagles had had an incident where he uh the cops had to come to his house with paramedics because there was a naked 16 year old in his house who was high on quaaludes and one other drug and he ended up um having to pay a fine and do some other legal stuff in relation to that situation. And now I got to think every time I listen to the Eagles who I really, really loved the Eagles for classic rock, I'm going to be thinking about him being involved with the statutory rape of like a 16 year old. Who's like way high on drugs. It's like, I can't get that out of my mind. I hate that. And I don't know. It, it, it pisses me off now because that's, that's one I'm thing where I have to go into. Yeah, I'm really good at separating things. The only time that I can't really separate them is um, when I'm on, on Tumblr. Okay, go ahead now that that siren's over. Sorry. No problem. In Chicago. <laughs> um, it's an ambulance. It's not like a cop car or anything. Um, I forgot what. Oh, like it's easier for me to separate when I'm not like on Tumblr and stuff like that because a lot of times. Tumblr will put it in your face so much yeah. that you just, you're just like, you know, I just don't want to be bothered with it at all. Um, which, I mean, it's a good thing and a bad thing, but at the same time, it's like something like, again, I'll go back to Cosby. The Cosby show is an iconic show and it did a lot of really, really great stuff for the community. Mm -hmm. And so I hate the idea that this show is now, you know, being ripped apart because of something that this man did on his own time that has nothing to do with the show. Because everyone affiliated with the show is just like, I haven't had that problem with him. Yeah. So. I think it's easier for me for TV as well because TV is such a – and film is such a collaborative thing that there's hundreds if not thousands of people involved in the creation of this thing over months or years to make one product. And so I can really separate and say, well, the good work that the directors did and the actors and the writers did, that all contributed to something great that I'm – that I can overlook the misdeeds of one person. Whereas with musicians, I get musicians are so much more personal. You know, it's one person or it's a band of five or six people and a couple producers and some, you know, extra musician. There's not nearly as many people involved in producing an album. It can be one person or 30 people, but it's not 300 people involved in it. So it, it seems to me like it's a little bit harder for me to get out of my mind when I'm listening, when it's a musician in particular. Mm -hmm. I do like um, one thing that I get with TV shows is that I have the same reaction you do where if I just cut off everything that was vaguely problematic, I would have nothing to watch. Um, one of my favorite movie franchises of the last couple of years has been Fast and the Furious. And I really, really like those movies. I love the uh, 
cars. I love the stunts. I especially, I didn't care for it that much for the first two movies. It was not until they realized that they were a heist series. And once they started doing heist movies, it got really fun. But I do get, I do get disturbed sometimes by the way that they just have this casual portrayal of women's bodies and this hypersexuality, you know, just constant boobs and ass everywhere. I get, I get really bummed out when I'm watching that. So I have to like gray out my eyes and then just pay attention to all the other cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen those series? Have you ever seen that movies? No. They are pretty fun though. If you, if you want to do something. Are you talking about Fast and Furious? Yeah. I saw the first couple, but then I fell off when they kept making them. Uh, it's I felt like they made the Fast and Furious 7. I'm like, for real? It's odd because that show, that series, I call it a show. That series actually gets better. The first steps, the first, <laughs> I almost said the first episode. The first movie was okay. The second movie was okay. The third movie started to get fun. And then the fourth and fifth and sixth movies were all really fun. And I thought the seventh movie was both really fun and also kind of really sad at the end because of what happened to one of the actors when he, since he passed away. But they got, they changed it from this cop criminal thing, which they did in the beginning to just having them be heist criminals where the whole premise of the later movies is what ridiculous stunt do they have to pull off to achieve this ridiculous goal? And I really like heist movies. So they've gotten better in my opinion as films, the further you get into the franchise, which is opposite to almost every other franchise I ever watch. Okay. Yeah. If you, if you want, if you want a good time, start with like number three and then just Skip the one about Japan. You don't need to watch the Tokyo Drift. You don't need to watch that. It has like uh, side characters. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for being my guest today, Mika. You're welcome. Thank you. And I hope that you really enjoy The Flash. And I will tell you, if I get caught up with it, I'll message you a lot about it. And we can find out, you know, how, how it's all going down. Oh, I've got lots of opinions. That's <laughs> okay. Very, uh, so, feel free. Okay, I'm going to stop the recording now.